Nutrition and Clinical Practice Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeanette Hassey, the Editor-in-Chief of Nutrition and Clinical Practice. The theme for the October 2015 issue of NCP is Identifying Malnutrition. Joining me today is Wendy Phillips, author of the paper, Accurate Documentation of Malnutrition Diagnosis Reflects Increased Healthcare Resource Utilization, which is published in the October 2015 NCP issue. Wendy Phillips, MS, RD, CNSC, CLE, is a Corporate Director of Clinical Nutrition for Morrison Healthcare. So thank you, Wendy, for joining me today. You're welcome. It's been decades since nutrition professionals have acknowledged that malnutrition was the skeleton in the hospital closet. But even so, today we continue to debate the most accurate method to identify malnutrition and the most effective treatments for malnutrition. But as part of the process, we've learned that it's also important to document and code for malnutrition to increase payments for Medicare's or hospitals. So for our podcast today, I want to explore the details of this process with our author, Ms. Phillips. But before we start our discussion, I'd like to ask Ms. Phillips if she has any disclosures on this topic that she would like to share. I do not have any disclosures on this topic. Great. Thank you, Wendy. So let's just start at the very beginning. So first, can you explain for our listeners how coding for malnutrition came about and the importance of this process? Sure. And I think it bears to mention that the International Classification of Diseases System was developed originally to provide a standardized way to document medical procedures and diagnoses throughout the world. Standardizing these codes improves consistency among physicians in recording patient symptoms and diagnoses for the purposes of payer claims reimbursement, but also for clinical research. So although we typically think about coding in terms of financial reimbursement, this process is also important for research. As malnutrition is a disease state, it is included in this ICD system. The United States currently uses the ninth edition hence the commonly heard term ICD-9 codes. We know that uh, receiving additional funding from Medicare for malnutrition helps provide the hospital with resources to be able to care for those patients. So how can coding for malnutrition affect Medicare and reimbursement to the hospitals? In other words, what's the typical average financial benefit? That's a really good question and one that I hear often. Coding for malnutrition affects Medicare reimbursement to hospitals in more than one way. The most direct way is through the payment for an individual patient's hospital admission. If the patient is malnourished, this increases the severity of the illness and increases the length of time until recovery, which means it most likely increases the length of the hospital stay. In addition to increasing the length of stay, it increases the resources the hospital dedicates towards helping the patient heal. For example, a patient with heart failure who is also malnourished will likely stay in the hospital longer and require more dietitian visits and medical nutrition therapy interventions than a patient with heart failure who is not malnourished. Medicare has a financial compensation process in place that pays the hospital at a higher rate to take care of these sicker patients. However, if the malnutrition diagnosis is not written by the physician and not translated into the proper code by the clinical documentation specialist, the Medicare does not know that this patient was sicker 
and require more resources so the payment doesn't increase. So in addition to the malnutrition codes affecting the payment for that one patient's hospital admission, these malnutrition codes can also influence the overall case mix index for the hospital. This is what is termed CMI. Hospitals with a higher case mix index, or CMI, see sicker patients and are termed to have a higher acuity level. Each year, Medicare calculates the base rate of payment to the hospital. While several factors influence this base rate, the CMI is one of them. The higher the CMI of the patient served, the higher the base financial rate will be. Therefore, the patients with a malnutrition diagnosis coded for their stay may increase the payment for that one visit, but will also contribute to a higher overall CMI for the hospital, which further influences payment for the hospital in the next year by increasing the base rate. You can almost think of this as a cascade effect. Since every hospital has a different base rate and several factors influence the payment, including the principal diagnosis for the patient's stay, it is difficult to say the average financial benefit, but I can use a principal diagnosis of COPD as an example disease state to show the financial impact diagnosing for malnutrition can have. If a Medicare patient is admitted for COPD exacerbation with no complicating factors, the average payment to U.S. hospitals this year is $4,132. If this patient is admitted for COPD exacerbation with a major complication, such as severe malnutrition, then the average payment to U.S. hospitals is $8,500. So that could be an increase of over $4,000 for that one patient. So it could make a big difference on the financial impact, especially if you think that there are several patients who are admitted with this condition over the year. Of course, sometimes there are other complications that would increase the payment to that higher threshold already. So the malnutrition diagnosis is not always the diagnosis that makes the difference for payment. It is important to code for malnutrition anyway for research purposes and fully document what is affecting the patient's illness and recovery. One of the things that we've experienced is that there tends to be some confusion as to what criteria should be used to define malnutrition. So can you explain what criteria can be used to determine malnutrition and how that would relate to the codes that can be used by the physicians to increase reimbursement? Sure. And I agree that there has been confusion as to what criteria are used to define malnutrition. We hear a lot of discussion about this in the clinical nutrition world. So there are various criteria available, including criteria from the consensus statement from the Academy in Aspen which have been proposed and are in the process of being validated. None of these have been officially accepted by CMS as the criteria to define malnutrition. It is usually the dietitian who completes the thorough nutrition assessment necessary to determine the presence and degree of malnutrition and to determine the interventions to treat the malnutrition. It is the physician who must agree with and document the malnutrition diagnosis in his or her notes and often must order the nutrition interventions recommended by the dietitian. The nurses are the ones who usually carry out the nutrition interventions and document the patient's response to care provided. And it is the clinical documentation specialist who then translate all of that activity into codes to send to Medicare. 
Therefore, representatives from each of these departments should work together to read the available literature, outcome studies, and expert consensus statements to determine which criteria will be used at their facility to determine the malnutrition diagnosis. This helps to ensure consistency of practice and diagnosing at that hospital, which is very important. Wendy, you mentioned the ICD-9 codes earlier, and now we're going to be transitioning to these newer ICD-10 codes. What differences should we expect to see with relation to malnutrition coding? If we think about the reason that the 10th edition of the ICD system is being implemented, that can help us to understand what differences we would expect to see. The ICD-10 system is being implemented because it contains more codes to be able to more specifically describe the diagnoses, symptoms, and procedures. So to cite a simple example for illustration purposes, instead of documenting broken left arm as the diagnosis, physicians may need to document the exact bone that is broken because that is the level of detail that is required to assign the correct code. Therefore, there is not always one ICD-10 code that directly matches an ICD-9 code. For example, one of the ICD-9 codes for diabetes with neurologic manifestations actually crosswalks to four different ICD-10 codes because the ICD-10 codes require a higher level of specificity. So that means increased documentation may be necessary in order to assign the correct codes. Since the malnutrition diagnoses do not have assigned specific criteria yet, there is not a big difference in the malnutrition codes, whether using the 9th or 10th edition of the ICD codes. The codes themselves will change, but not the associated descriptors. You talked a little bit about the teamwork in getting malnutrition coded, but who's really ultimately responsible for determining and documenting that, those malnutrition codes? And and how do the other care providers help in that process of identifying coding for malnutrition? Thank you. And as you mentioned, you know, we're a healthcare team. All providers play a role. Ultimately, it is the responsibility of the physician to determine and document the malnutrition diagnosis because it is only the physician's documentation that can be translated into codes to send to Medicare. But all healthcare providers can help in the process of identifying malnutrition. In most hospitals, for example, nurses complete the initial nutrition screening to determine which patients need to be referred to the RD, and they can also provide vital information to the RDs about things like percent meal intake, whether assistance is needed with meals, GI symptoms, and more things that can help determine the patient's nutrition status in response to nutrition interventions. Any other provider really in the hospital who interacts with the patient can provide the same information. But ultimately, again, it's the responsibility of the physician to determine and document the malnutrition diagnosis and have the clinical documentation specialist translate that documentation into the appropriate malnutrition codes. Thank you, Wendy, for sharing all your expertise. It's clear to see that this is something that you feel passionate about and you have a lot of understanding. But are there any other comments that you'd like to share with our listeners before we close today? Thank you, and I agree that it is something that I'm passionate about, and I appreciate the opportunity to share the information. And I think if there's one leave behind that I'd like to say, 
is that while payment for our hospitals is very important, I also want to highlight the importance of adequate documentation to ensure all appropriate codes are assigned to the patient's stay to improve research efforts. This article and podcast are specifically about malnutrition, but it is also important for other diagnoses and for all healthcare disciplines. Adequate documentation and assigning codes is what helps epidemiologists and other researchers understand disease states. So thank you for the opportunity to share this information. Thank you, Wendy. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise with our listeners today. And I invite all of our readers to find out more about identifying malnutrition and the October 2015 issue of Nutrition and Clinical Practice. 